Hello and welcome to the Friday Vegas line report of the Foul Balls podcast. And we're going to start off quickly with some big news that I'm getting as this is beginning. So uh, for the real episode of the Foul Balls podcast that Greg and I did last night, we talked about the Nationals offense against Robert Gazelman as the probably number one spot for DFS for Friday night. Uh, the big news in that game initially was that Jacob deGrom had been scheduled to start. DraftKings had priced the Nationals offense to face Jacob deGrom. Uh, and then deGrom was pushed back two days because he was sick. So Robert Gazelman took over the starting spot. Uh, with the Nationals being pretty cheap, the value was pretty clearly there against a much worse pitcher in Gazelman, who's kind of below average, not awful, but definitely a lot worse than deGrom. Um, but now at around four o'clock Eastern time, the Nationals have released their lineup and uh, just about everybody is resting. So no Trey Turner, no Daniel Murphy, no Ryan Zimmerman, no Anthony Rendon. So this is probably the worst lineup the Nationals have put out all year. They obviously don't have Bryce Harper playing. Uh, Matt Wieters is also sitting out. Basically every single starting player that they've had this season outside of Wilmer Defoe and Howie Kendrick is not in the lineup. So this is a really bad Nats lineup. And the sharp action on this game is unsurprising and it's really strong. Uh, so then Mets opened as plus 125 underdogs uh, after the line was released with Gazelman on the mound. The line is now down to about Pickham. The total at nine was up a little bit towards nine and a half. It's now going down towards eight and a half. Um, so the the obvious stack spot for the Nationals has just kind of disappeared here. And uh, you might even want to consider using Gazelman for DFS purposes He's only 5,600, and he's facing what might be the worst offense that any team has put out in baseball this season. But either way, it's a very plus matchup for him at a really cheap price. So while I don't think there's a lot of upside for Gazelman just because he's not that good and he doesn't get a ton of strikeouts, he's essentially facing a triple-A lineup here. Uh, so it, he has a good chance to hit value. I think the Sharps really like the Mets, really like the under. We were seeing a little bit of a line move in that direction anyway. Perhaps it was some speculation that the Nats would be resting guys because Daniel Murphy has been sitting out roughly every, every other day for the last two weeks. But it also just might have been a mispriced line. Uh, I think that Edwin Jackson going for the Nationals was creating some value on the Mets because Jackson's numbers don't look that bad in terms of his ERA and run prevention. But he's a really bad pitcher with almost no recent success. He's been bad in the minor leagues, gives up a ton of homers. So there's just a lot to like from the Mets side of this game. Uh, I think you could make the case that betting on the Mets, even at this pick'em line, or using them for DFS, using Gazelman in DFS, I think all of the Mets are in play. Uh, so this is a big change from what was going on last night. And uh, it's kind of just frustrating because the Nationals were in probably the best spot of the day, but now none of their players are playing. So there goes that, and uh, I think we'll turn our attention to the Mets from here, but still kind of a hard game to figure out. Uh, so moving on to some of the other significant games uh, in terms of line movement, uh, we're seeing a little bit of a jump for the Braves against the Phillies, Sean Newcomb against Ben Lively. Uh, Lively has been pretty good with run prevention over the course of this season, uh, especially in his last few starts, but he's really not a good pitcher and he's benefited from some pretty substantial luck over the course of this rookie year. Uh, so Lively's Babbitt for the season is at 277. And that's kept his ERA down at 394. Uh, he's also stranding runners at a decently above average rate at 74.7%. Uh, 
Uh, so with the 394 ERA, his FIP is 474 and his XFIP is 550. Uh, the steamer and zips projections, which are two projection models Fangraphs uses to just say how the pitchers are going to do the rest of the year. Uh, they both have lively at roughly a five ERA from here on out. This is just not a good pitcher, and I think people might view him as a decent pitcher. So it's a good spot for the Braves, uh, just at least in terms of their expected output. I think they are pretty expensive for DFS purposes, but uh, the line is moving towards the Atlanta side, and it's also moving towards the underside a little bit, which I think implies that the Phillies' offense is also overrated. And uh, Sean Newcomb, who has struggled a little bit lately and probably isn't very good, um, at least for DFS purposes, though, has a lot of strikeout upside. The way he pitches is high strikeouts, high walks. So he could put up a lot of fantasy points, uh, I wouldn't necessarily expect him to have too good of a game on average in this spot for real-life purposes, but the strikeout upside against the Phillies is there, even though the Phillies have been hitting a lot better lately, uh, especially since Reese Hoskins was recalled, I think it was a month or two ago. So this Phillies offense is okay, but the strikeouts are probably going to be there just because that's the way Newcomb pitches. Uh, so as cheap flyers, I think Newcomb and Gazelman make sense for daily fantasy purposes, uh, they're both just really cheap, and I think for, for varying reasons, there could be uh, decent production to be expected from both of them. But uh, everything about this game leans towards the Braves, their offense, and the pitching. So this is a night to fade the Phillies entirely for sure, both on offense and on the mound. Um, and I think the line has moved from minus 121 to minus 130, and I would guess that we see even more of a climb as the Sharps continue to hammer this game. Uh, it's a pretty low volume game. People don't usually bet on Braves Phillies games, but I think we'll see more uh, more action coming in on this late. And uh, I'm going to jump past some of the seven o'clock games here because we have another lineup announcement. The Astros are resting Carlos Correa against the Angels. So the total in that game was at eight with the juice on the over at minus 120. It's now down to eight flat. And uh, the public loves the under in this game. The public also loves the Astros in this game. So I think even regardless of the Carlos Correa news, we were seeing the public liking the under. But that had more to do with Justin Verlander than the Astros offense, which has been struggling over the last week or so. Uh, They really did nothing against the White Sox for their entire series against them, which is just really surprising and annoying for people who use them for DFS. But anyway, the bias here is clearly on Justin Verlander with 81% of the money line bets on Houston and 74% of the total bets on the under. Justin Verlander is the most expensive pitcher for DraftKings for tonight. And uh, he's been really good this year, but the Angels offense is is a lot better now since the acquisitions. Uh, this is something that I've repeatedly been saying over the last few weeks is that the Angels offense is not a bad offense anymore. Uh, It wasn't even that bad of an offense when Mike Trout was injured. Then he came back and they were performing okay, a little above average. Now they have Brandon Phillips and Justin Upton. So even though Albert Pujols is probably really bad and really overrated, there are a lot of good hitters in that lineup, but at least at the top with Trout and Upton, uh, Andrew Alden Simmons has been really good this year too. Cole Calhoun's decent. It's, it's a very strong lineup, so it's going to be a tough matchup for Verlander. Uh, I would not use Verlander for Daily Fantasy. I think betting on the Astros is foolish. There might even be a decent amount of value on the Angels now. Uh, so even with the public sort of being anti-Astros offense, you're now getting additional value because Carlos Correa is not playing. Uh, so the line is starting to drop. I'm watching it now. Is at plus 155 for the Angels. Now it's down to plus 145. And I would guess it continues to fall lower there because Carlos Correa is really good. 
He's a really impactful player, and without him, the Astros' offense just is a lot worse. Uh, so it's a big bump for Garrett Richards, but unfortunately, he's not really usable for Daily Fantasy because he's likely to be on a pitch restriction. Uh, if we get news that he's not, I think he would certainly be in play. He's only 6400 so he's actually cheaper than Newcomb on DraftKings. He's a little more expensive than Robert Gazelman. But he's a far superior pitcher to those guys. And uh, he's now facing a pretty good offense. Uh, the Astros offense without Correa is still probably pretty good, but it's nothing special without him. Uh, he's probably their second best hitter after Jose Altuve. And uh, Richards is just a really good pitcher. So if there's some news before the game that Richards will have no restrictions on his workload, then I think it's full go for using Richards in DFS. Uh, I just don't think that, that scenario is that likely because uh, Richards just came back off the DL. He's only made a couple starts this year, and uh, the Angels have a pretty good bullpen, and the games matter for them, so they're not going to leave Richards in there just to get his work in. I think the Angels competing for a wild card spot want to win, and the best way for them to win is to limit Richards to where he's comfortable and then just go to the bullpen for a decent amount of the game. So Richards, maybe he'll throw 75 pitchers or so, probably be fairly effective, but then I would think he comes out. So you can't really use him for DraftKings, but there is a ton of value on the Angels in this game, and the line is dropping even more. It's now at plus 137 at Pinnacle, so that may not even be the end of this line movement. It could fall a lot lower because the Sharps are clearly reacting to this Carlos Correa news, and I think they were probably on the Angels anyway because of the misconceptions about this pitching matchup. So those are the three big line moves. Uh, there is a decent amount of sharp action elsewhere. The game that probably has the biggest divide between the public and the sharps is the Indians-Mariners game. The Indians are in Seattle. Uh, Trevor Bauer against Erasmo Ramirez. The line opened at plus 125 for Seattle. They're now down to plus 120. That's with only 19% of the money line bets going on the Mariners. So it's all Indians for mostly everyone. And uh, it kind of makes sense. The Indians have been great all year. They've been especially great over the last month where they had this enormous winning streak. The Mariners lost a couple games in a row, I think, at home to Texas over the last few days. They haven't been hitting that well. Bauer is a lot better of a pitcher than Erasmo Ramirez. But with all that said, I think this game is a lot closer than people realize. The Mariners' offense is good. They've just been in somewhat of a cold streak for whatever reason, just random variation of not hitting it's a really talented lineup, though. Gene Segura is really good. Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, Kyle Seeger, uh, Yonder Alonso, especially against righties. Mitch Hanniger is back off the DL as of a few weeks ago. There's a lot of depth in this lineup. There's a lot of really good hitters. And I think you can make the case that Seattle actually does have a better offense than Cleveland. Just Cleveland went through that ridiculous stretch where during their winning streak, they faced the, they faced the Tigers, they faced the Royals. I think they faced the White Sox twice. It might have been the Tigers twice, uh, the Orioles. They they faced all these bad pitching teams, and it really inflated their offensive numbers for a while. So the perception of the Indians' offense is that there's some elite offense, which is partially true. They're a very good offense, but the Mariners' offense is good too. And with home field advantage, even with the less less reliable pitcher on the mound with Ramirez compared to Bauer, the Mariners still have a pretty good chance to win this game. But uh, for daily fantasy purposes, I think the Indians just they carry too much ownership at this point in the season to use them. And the Mariners maybe aren't the best play just because Bauer is good and the Indians bullpen is good. But uh, if I had to pick a side in this game, it's definitely Seattle just because the well, the ownership. And then I think that they could have a pretty similar expected output to what Cleveland has. 
Uh, but it's very clear either way that the Sharps do definitely prefer the Seattle side of this game. And I think it's even more specifically the anti-Indians offense side because the total has dropped from nine, uh, maybe eight and a half or so to eight and a half trending downward. So it's very anti-Indians offense. And I think it makes sense, even though Ramirez is not that good because Seattle is a pitcher's park. So that's going to hurt offense. And also Ramirez doesn't usually stay in the game for very long. So even though the Seattle bullpen is kind of just okay, any reliever is going to be better than a mediocre starter. So it's going to get tougher for the Indians to score runs as this game progresses because Ramirez is not someone who's going to stick around for a third time through the batting order if he's not pitching unbelievably well. So that's all I've got for that game. Uh, That's pretty much it for the sharp action. I will mention the pitcher, though, that I'm the highest on for Daily Fantasy. Greg was the highest on when we did our podcast last night, and that's John Gray in San Diego. The public loves the Rockies in this game, which is basically the case in every Rockies game the entire year. But it's not much of a concern in terms of line movement because the public also likes the over and we're seeing a drop on the total. So looking at the data from Sports Insights here, we have 72% of the total bet tickets on the over, but 74% of the total bet dollars on the under. So most people are betting the over. But the big bets are coming in on the under, and that's a really good indicator for this game being lower scoring than people think. We're seeing that in the line movement, too. It's dropped from eight and a half down towards eight. And uh, even if the Rockies are overvalued here, it's not because of their pitching. I think it's their offense is overvalued. Jordan Lyles probably has a better chance to do well against the Rockies offense than most people think. But this doesn't really say anything about Gray, who gets the Padres, who are worse against righties, strike out a lot. Just a really bad offense overall. Uh, They're still without Jose Perella, which is a big loss. And uh, Gray is just a lot better away from Coors Field just because everyone's better pitching away from Coors Field. So I expect this game to probably go under that eight-run total. And even if the Padres win the game, they probably shouldn't do that well offensively because it's just not a game that sets up for a lot of runs. San Diego is a huge park downgrade from Coors Field, obviously, even though it's kind of a neutral park factor in San Diego since they moved the fences in. But uh, this is it's so much less run potential than you get in Colorado. If we had this pitching matchup at course, you'd probably see a total of 11, maybe 11 and a half. But with the game in San Diego, the total is only eight. So I have no concerns about John Gray based on the line movement. If anything, I think we'll bump him up slightly because the sharp money does seem to be on the under here. Uh, so definitely fade the Rockies offense. But all in gray for from my standpoint, for daily fantasy purposes, is the way to go. And scanning through the games here, I think that that'll just about do it. There are plenty of other spots where we're seeing small line movement, but nothing substantial. So that'll wrap up this Friday Vegas line report podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. And the regular foul balls podcast will return on Monday.